goodbye. Uh, he'd tear up. It was an emotional time for him. Goodbyes can be difficult. Jesus comes to comfort his disciples. And he says to them, you know the way to the place where I'm going. And I wonder if they thought, oh, he's going to the temple. He's going to his father's house to the temple. Or he's going to some other place around here. And so Thomas, and I like this passage because we get to see a little of the personality of of some of the disciples. It's not Peter that speaks up first for once. It's Thomas and he says, Lord, we don't even know where you're going. Is it the temple? Is it another house? They've just come to this house to have the last supper. Jesus washed their feet. Remember how they found that house? He just said, go into the city and you'll see a house with a donkey. And, and that'll be the place. Just tell the man that you, you need it. And, and so now he's like, well, I don't know where you're going next. Is this some strange scavenger hunt? Or, you know, like Jesus says, you, he says, we don't even know where you're going, so how can we know the way to get there? Makes sense, doesn't it? Very practical sort of person. Jesus, if we don't know where you're going, we can't know how to get there. This is... Towards the end of his life, Jesus just has days or hours before his death. I wonder what he felt through this this particular interaction. He says, I am the way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Now the emphasis in this passage is on the way. And that's where we're going to spend most of our time. But um, truth is important and, and life is also important. So we will just touch on them. But the reason we're spending the time on way is because this, this is how Jesus responds. Jesus says, I'm, you know the way. Thomas says, we don't know the way. Jesus says, I am the way. And, and so that's the interaction. And then even the very next line, he says, no one comes to the Father except through me. And so that's the way. Jesus is not just the way to nowhere. Jesus is the way to the Father. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so that's important. But let's just take a a moment and we'll touch on truth. Um, In... Over in chapter 20 and verse 31, John explains that the point of his writing the gospel, it was probably the last gospel written in terms of time, probably fairly late. And he says that he has written all of this, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life on his name. So John says, I want you to to have some knowledge. And not just have the knowledge, I want you to believe it, to take ownership, to take possession of it. And, And that knowledge, that truth, 
that I want you to, to know and to believe is that Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the Son of God. Who Jesus is, is so important. That's what all of this is about. I want to convince you, to persuade you of that. Because when you believe and you accept who Jesus is, then you may have life in his name. It's that important. So, so his purpose for writing is around the truth of who Jesus is, and the outcome of that is that the people receive life. The word, the Greek word for truth, it occurs about 55 times in the book of John. Now, that may not sound a lot to you. John has 21 chapters. So if the word truth shows up twice per chapter, that would be 42. Is there about 55, at least different forms. It could be truth, it could be true, it could be truly, you know, those sort of things. Here, is just the word truth in English. And you can see how much more common it is in John. It starts at the top there with Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Um, how common it is in John compared to every other book in the New Testament. John has a real emphasis on the importance of truth. And so once you start looking for it, you'll see this word popping up all over the place as you read through John. And then just when we think, okay, we know what this is about, really our text here, John 14 verse 6, sort of shakes us a bit because truth is usually something we learn in school or something we learn in Bible class or something our parents teach us. But here Jesus says, no, 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 no. Truth is who I am. Truth is a person, not a thing, not a knowledge, not an idea. Likewise, we can close that, Ernest. Likewise, the, the word life, if we did a similar sort of search for, for life, we would see that life occurs in the Gospel of John more than twice as often as it does in any of the other three Gospels. We've already seen Jesus describe himself as the bread of life. He described himself as the light of the world. But if we read just a little, that's in chapter 8, but if we read just a little further, we would see that he describes that light as the light of life. And then last week, Jesus revealed himself saying, I am the resurrection and the life in John 11. Bread of life, light of life, resurrection and life, way, truth and life. Uh, living water was another thing we saw earlier on uh, in, in John 4. And so uh, life is also very important to John. He's writing so that people can a, know who Jesus is. B, experience the life that Jesus offers. So when Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and life, that, that apparently really stuck out to John. And John didn't just take note of it and write it down and make sure he included it in his Bible, in his gospel. 
uh, he, he said this, each of those are super important concepts. And I'm going to come back to them again and again and again as we go through the gospel, as I write my gospel. I will seek to demonstrate throughout the gospel how Jesus is uh, the, the truth and how Jesus is the life. In, in growth groups this week, we're going to kind of survey some of the instances where um, Jesus talks about truth. And uh, that'll be the focus of our conversations here in, in the Gospel of John. And so there are really these two great gospel summaries in John. Anyone want to guess what the first great gospel summary is in, in the Gospel of John? Most well-known verse in the Bible, maybe. John 3, 16. Okay. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Oh, look at that. All right. And then, really what we get here is another, in 14.6, is another great gospel summary. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You see, Jesus, the, the, the point of Jesus' ministry is to give us access to God, isn't it? Isn't that the good news? That, that we, despite our sin, despite our struggles, despite our guilt, despite our hurt, the way we hurt, the way we have hurt others, despite, enlist whatever you want to put after the word despite, despite all of that, there is a way that we can have not just access to God, but that we can approach His throne with confidence, that He can be our Father and we can be His child, that we can have relationship with Him, that, that Jesus says, you know, I'm going to go and I'm going to prepare a place for you. I'm leaving and it's hard and, and you're sad. Well, I'm sad and so I'm going to prepare a place for you to come and to join me and to spend eternity with me. And, and you don't have to worry about making a reservation because there's going to be lots of space. And whether it be rooms like in a hotel or, <coughs> excuse me, or dwellings or, or just whatever it has, particularly in mind, it's going to be enough space for everyone is the point. And so no one comes to the Father except through me. The good news is you can get to the Father because Jesus has come, because Jesus is the way, because Jesus is the truth and the life, then we can look forward to um, approaching God and being in unity, in harmony with God. Now, often we read this, this statement, and, and it might sit a little uncomfortable with us, with some of us, because um, what, about, what about all those other people? It says, no one comes to the Father except through me. What about all those other people? Uh, we have often read this and taught this as, as the place where Jesus teaches that if you're not a Christian, if you're somewhere else in the world, if it's another time, if you don't know anything about it, 
But if you're not doing things right, then you're just lost for eternity. And, and so I, I, I want to be really careful here because I know this, this makes us uncomfortable uh, probably in different directions. Is, is for some of us, we say, well, what of people that never heard about Jesus? What of, what of people that lived before Jesus? What of people that lived in different parts of the world where the missionaries hadn't gone yet? What of, of people that were, were good in those places, that kept their religion and, and did the best they could but just didn't know Jesus? And, and it's a complex question. I think there's a lot there to, to consider, different verses in Scripture to, to talk about. Um, but I would just say for now that we need to be able to trust God's justice to deal fairly with people, um, regardless of their circumstances. Because don't we trust God's justice to deal fairly with us? That, that we have God's word. We, we know about Jesus. We, we trust God that because we've followed his word to the best we can, that, that um, because we accept Jesus as our Savior, that we can come to the Father through him, that we can experience his truth and his life. And so if we trust God's justice to forgive our sins and to grant us access to, to God, the Father, can we also trust God's justice to deal with all these other situations that we can't um, give, perhaps, clear, definitive answers in the way that we would like. And, and so uh, I think that's important as we come to this. And yet, it also gives us a responsibility. We can't just go, oh, look, access to the Father is through Jesus. But it doesn't matter whether people know about Jesus or not. Right? That, that's not the way this works. We have a responsibility to, to let people know that they can gain relationship with God, that they can gain access to God, that they can approach God's throne because of Jesus. That is the good news. And so do we want people to go through life without that good news or with that good news? And so we have a responsibility to, to take that message, to spread that message to as many places and as many people as we can. There is no great commission in the Gospel of John. Unlike Matthew, even Mark has something there. Uh, Luke has a little bit of it. But in, in John chapter 17 and verse 18, Jesus has this prayer. And it's a long prayer. And as he gets towards the end of his prayer, in verse 18, he says this. As you, Father, sent me into the world, I have sent them, my disciples, into the world. Okay, so that just meant they were to leave the temple, right? They couldn't just live in the temple. Is that what it means? Yeah? That, that they're sent into the world, that they're believers in him, but they are to just go and live life and carry on and keep their belief and just be good people, not cause any trouble. You could mean that. It could mean that when he says, I've sent them into the world. But because it says, as you have sent me, that becomes our model for us being sent into the world, is that we're imitating Jesus. Our sending is like his sending. 
That means we go into unfamiliar, maybe uncomfortable places. It means that we're God so loved the world that He sent His Son. So, so we're motivated by love for other people, uh, love for those around us. And then he continues, just a little bit later, he says, praying for these same people, he says, I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. So Jesus clearly intends that when he sends his disciples into the world, just as he was sent, that they're going to take with them a message. And because of that message that they're taking with them, other people are going to believe in Jesus. And so Jesus is already praying, not for his disciples, well, he is praying for them, but he's also praying for those who will believe, the second generation, who will believe because of the message his disciples take. And so there is certainly this urgency within Jesus that in his last prayer, this is, part, this is what he's looking for and hoping for and seeking uh, his father to, to follow through with. And so sometimes we can make our faith a little too individualistic. We can make our faith about my forgiveness of my sin, my relationship with God. All of that is important. It just can't end there. Okay. It, it has to, to expand beyond that, our relationship that we then establish with Jesus, becoming a child of God, means that we're transformed in a way that we care for everyone who doesn't yet know God, who doesn't yet know Jesus. Today is Missions Sunday. And I, I, I love Mission Sunday. I love that we as a church have these works that we're hearing about and learning about things that God is doing through other people in other places. The risk that we run is that we come to define the mission of the church through what other people do in other places. If we were to go to those other places, you know what those people are saying? They're saying, what's our mission? What are we going to report back to Lawson Road and tell them that we're doing? What are we, what are we doing? You know, what are we, even more than what will we tell Lawson Road, how will we stand before God and tell him that we carried out the responsibility that he gave us? And so if we come to define our mission as what happens with other people in other places, I think we also need to recognize that each of us has been mission, given a mission by God. There's a church, we have to ask ourselves, what would it look like if we had to give a report somewhere and say, here's what we've been doing in the last six months, and, and if our funding was totally contingent upon um, demonstrating that every, all the money we got was being put to a great need in the spread of the gospel and being involved in the community, and that if we weren't doing that, we'd have to close our doors. Would we act any differently? But even beyond just sort of that big stick approach to mission is the idea that Jesus has given us individually a mission. That just as the Father sent the Son 
the Son has sent us. And so our mission is firstly to know Jesus. Because when we know Jesus, we can know the Father. But secondarily, it's to share this knowledge with others. And so I recognize that most of us aren't called to travel to Mozambique, and I'm not trying to give that idea today. Most of us aren't even called to to travel to live in Rhode Island with the purpose of starting churches and sharing the gospel there, although we support people that are, are doing that. But we do give money because we're not called personally to go there. We give money to those that are to support them, to encourage them, to make their work possible. But each of us is still called to share the gospel with those who need to hear it in our sphere of influence. That idea, sphere of influence. Each of us has one. Whether it start off with our spouse, our children, expands to our family. I don't know what yours is, but maybe a typical next step would be school or the workplace. Maybe our next step is our um, uh, vol- organizations that we volunteer for, that we're involved in, the, the school board or something. Uh, our next one might be government in some way. I mean, even just casting a vote is a sphere of influence. In, in, in a very small way. Um, and then perhaps our biggest sphere of influence may be like social media or something, but you never know just who's going to see something that you share. And so we have a responsibility for our sphere of influence. We can influence other people, and we do. And so I want to just suggest to you that if you've previously invited all of your friends to church, all of your friends to a Bible study or to a growth group, and none of them are interested. Maybe it's time to make some new friends. And and I don't mean get rid of your friends that you've had for 40 years, but, but maybe you need to meet some new people. You see, you can't invite people to church if you don't, if you don't know them. You know, I mean, you could, like, get little cards and stick them under people's doors, but, uh, you know, The effectiveness of that is not particularly great. But if you get to know someone, understand them, recognize their needs, invite them to church, invite them to study the Bible, invite them to growth group or something else that we have going on, then we have the possibility of introducing them to Jesus. I remember a lady I knew in Australia. She wasn't part of my church. I think she was an elder's wife at another church in another city. And I was spending a little bit of time with her family, and uh, I heard her describing how she uh, would join different organizations for about different community organizations. And she'd do it for about three years, which gave her enough time to get to know people, enough time to, to understand their needs, to share her faith with them, to you know, invite them, to pray for them, to pray with them, to invite them to church or to meet Jesus in some way. And, and if after three, four years, there was just like no interest, she'd go, okay, it's time to go to the next one. So it might have started off with, hey, I'll go to my school PTA, get to know the parents, the other kids in class, get involved there. But after three or four years, maybe it'll be like I'm going to take up a painting class. 
Yeah. I'll go to that painting class for two or three years and see what happens. And you know, maybe some people will get to know Jesus. Maybe they won't. Then after a period of time, I'm going to go find something else. Perhaps I'll join a community choir. And so she worked her way through life with these different organizations. You go, oh, what a diverse life. What an interesting person. And she would say, I'm sharing Jesus. I enjoy those things, I enjoy those activities, I'm contributing to my community, I'm glad to be involved in all those, but I'm sharing Jesus. And she was being intentional about it. Can you imagine how different Lawson Road would be if every member chose to put ourselves in places trying to share Jesus with someone else? I'm not suggesting that we should give up things that interest us or that we enjoy to find something that we don't enjoy. I think the two can go together. But can, or can you imagine how dynamic our atmosphere would be if, if each of us had a little list of people that we were praying for and, and that we knew that everybody had this little list and, and on Sunday in the foyer we could say, hey, um, who are you praying for at the moment? And we knew that the other person would say, oh, I'm praying for Jim and Jenny and Bob. And, and, and I might say, how's that going? Oh, I had a great conversation with Jenny the other day. I'm really, really excited about that. I think she's, she's open. We're going to keep praying. And I might say, well, I'll pray with you for, for Jenny for the next week or two. But, but if, we, if we're not on mission together, then we've got a family member somewhere. We've got somebody that we've been praying for for 20 years. And, and we're not looking for those new opportunities. We're not encouraging each other in those directions. And so how we live our lives depends on how we view Jesus. Do we really view Jesus as the way that no one can see the Father? No one can come to the Father, except through me? Do, do we really live our lives as though that's something that we want to come to the Father? That we want for ourselves, that we want for those around us to, to live life here on earth and to, to come to the end of it, but then to be able to celebrate with the Father an eternity of joy and goodness. And so do we believe that about Jesus? I think the most important thing to notice here, though, is that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Now, the teachings of Jesus are part of that. But so are the miracles of Jesus. So is the way that just two chapters earlier, Jesus washed feet. It's part of the Jesus way. So is the love that he demonstrates, the love that sent him from heaven. Well, that's part of the Jesus way. And so I, I think it's helpful to, to ask ourselves, what is the Jesus way? Because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. In verse 7, Jesus said this. He said, if you really know me, John 14, if you really know me, you will know my Father as well. And this unity, this oneness, is also a key theme in the book of John. He says, from now on, you do know him and have seen him. 
you got no excuses. I'm telling you explicitly, see me, see the Father. So from now on, everything that you see me do, you're seeing him. And then in verse 9, he says, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Do we believe that? Do we believe that Jesus is that important? So as we close, Jesus is the way. I just want to point out, Jesus, when he says that, is on the way to the cross. Jesus is the way. He's showing the way. And it's a way that for him goes through the cross, through the grave, and through the resurrection. Jesus is the truth. He is the reality. Jesus just demonstrates the reality of God and the difference that God makes in the world and in the lives of people. I know there's a lot of people that think Jesus isn't real. But when Jesus says, I am the truth, he's saying, I am the ultimate reality. This is the way life was intended to be. Everything that you're experiencing, the effects of sin, the selfishness, everything that hurts, that is real in a sense, but it's not the ultimate reality that was always intended. I'm showing you a greater reality. I'm showing you God. And then Jesus is the life because he gives us purpose. He gives us mission in the present. He gives us a reason to live, but he also promises us new life in the new creation to come. And so our challenge is simply to accept those statements about Jesus. John wrote that we might believe who Jesus is. He is the Christ, the Son of God. And so we need to accept that he can make me acceptable to God. That the way that he takes through the cross is going to allow me to know the Father, to come to the Father. We need to accept that his promises are true. We need to accept that my guilt is truly removed, that my life has a purpose and a mission. And we need to accept that new life in God's presence awaits me. To accept that Jesus has gone to prepare a place for me because he wants to spend eternity with me, with us. Because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever.